0: Thank you, Hadley, and worship team, and those auditioning for the worship team. (laughs) Hope you make it. If you will, open up your copy of God's perfect, inspired word to Psalm chapter 55. Psalm chapter 55, we'll, we'll read this. Psalm... We'll pray and we will, by the Lord's grace, cover what the Bible has to say about bitterness and resentment. Psalm, chapter 55, a psalm of David to the choir master with string instrument. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of my enemy because of the oppression of the wicked for they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me my heart is in anguish within me the terror of death has fallen upon me fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me verse 6 and I say Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you. A man. My equal. My companion. My familiar friend. We used to take. Sweet counsel together within God's house when we walked in the throng. Let death steal over me. Let them go down to Shaol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their hearts. Verse 16. <clears throat> but I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and noon and at noon, I utter my complaints and moan and He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear to humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Let us pray. Dear father, seer of the heart, discerner of the thoughts and intentions, controller of all the circumstances and situations of life, I praise you and I thank you for the wonderful opportunity to be here with your people once again. To turn our attention towards you and towards your word, to consider what you have to say. Specifically, as it relates to the topic of bitterness, to our shame, we understand this all too well. And so we ask for your help. We ask that you would help us to treasure your perspective, help us to have listening ears to hear. And a willing heart to apply. Bitterness is so common among people in general and among your people specifically. So help us to navigate this in our own lives. Help us to have forgiving hearts because we have been forgiven such a great debt. Help us to be prepared to face life when bitterness arises. Knowing that oftentimes our bitterness is towards those whom we love the most. Sweet Savior, Jesus, you drank the bitter cup of your father's wrath so that we can triumph over the bitterness in our lives. And so I ask for your help and I thank you for the work that you've done on our behalf. And precious Spirit, you are the giver of the new birth in this life that you've granted to us, came with the power to deal with our bitterness. So help us to have forgiving hearts. Help us to exercise what you've already given to us. I pray this to you, our great God, that your name may be glorified in our lives as it is in heaven. And so would you please help us? I beg in Christ's name. Amen. We are studying or proceeding in our study of all the fields. And I chose this psalm from David as a launching point because David does a very good job of helping us understand the reality of bitterness. Those that are bitter against him in this passage But David also emphasizes something that I would like for us to hold close to our minds tonight, is that oftentimes bitterness, as we deal with it, is in relation to those who are the most close to us. This is between the husband and the wife. This is between the friend. This is between family members. And so as we think through bitterness... You're going to have to evaluate your heart and some of the closest relationships that you have and beg the Lord to help you with bitterness and resentment. These two words are synonyms that basically describe the same feeling. Two words that are very similar in definition with only a slight nuance. And here's the nuance. Bitterness emphasizes the disappointment or the grudge itself. And resentment seeks to highlight the anger or the indignation that is associated with this feeling. Each word could be used interchangeably, and practically speaking, we do use them interchangeably, so I feel freedom to do that tonight. We'll follow the same format as the other nights before, first seeking to explain the world's perspective on bitterness and resentment, and then to see what our great God has to say. Now, as I studied this week, I was a little shocked. I was a little shocked to see that the world's perspective on this feeling of bitterness is actually not far off from the Bible. I believe that's the goodness of God shown through his mercy on his creation, allowing fallen, unbelieving mankind to rightly diagnose the problem. However, as I persisted in my study, I Notice the difference. It made me think back to when I was a new believer. I remember watching this debate between an atheist and a Christian apologist. And the atheist made the claim that all religions are fundamentally the same and superficially different. He says, We all say God, we all have places of worship, we use similar language, we only differ in areas of preference what we will or will not wear, what you call the name of your God, etc. During the rebuttal period, the Christian apologist rightly pointed out the opposite truth, that all religions are fundamentally different and superficially the same. The claim that one God exists is fundamentally different than many gods. The claim of a God who eternally exists is fundamentally different than a God who came into existence at a point in time. And salvation by grace alone is fundamentally different than salvation by works. This thought came to me as I studied because as I looked at bitterness, the world often gets very close to a biblical understanding of this truth. But the areas where they fail are fundamentally different. The world rightly diagnoses the problem, but when it came to the why it is a problem, and more importantly, the solution to the problem, they can never move past the horizontal plane. They can never look vertical to our great God who is in heaven to determine why bitterness is a problem and what the solution to bitterness is. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you here tonight as we go through this To think about this fundamental difference between the world's perspective, the people who are of the world, and the Christian's perspective, the people who are in the world, and how that should impact how you think about bitterness. That fundamental difference has huge implications in how we will address bitterness in our life. So let's look at how the world defines bitterness. One definition... Resentment or bitterness describes a negative emotional reaction to being mistreated. They go on to say there's no one cause of resentment, but most cases involve the underlining sense of being mistreated or wronged by another person. Experiencing frustration or disappointment is a normal part of life. When feelings become too overwhelming, they can contribute to resentment. And when this happens, trust and love and relationships are often broken and sometimes they are never repaired. Dr. Stephen Diamond, he's a Ph.D. and licensed clinical and forensic psychologist. He defines bitterness as this a chronic and pervasive state of smoldering resentment, one of the most destructive and toxic human emotions. I read that and I go, yeah, he gets it. He says, if we repeatedly ruminate over how we have been victimized, nursing the wrongs done to us, the wrongs themselves eventually come to define some essential part of who we are. They begin to dominate our very personality. We'll end up becoming victims, not so much of anyone else, but of ourselves. He's on the right track there. And my favorite definition from the world's perspective is from Dr. Gregory Popcat. He says, bitterness is unforgiveness fermented. It's really good. There's not a whole lot there to disagree with. From the world's perspective, all bitterness starts out as hurt and your emotional pain relates to how you view whoever or whatever provoked the hurt in you. And so they get this right. They define bitterness right, or at least partially so. Let's see how the Bible defines bitterness and where the world tends to fall a little short. The Bible uses Primarily two root words for the term bitterness. It's a Greek and Hebrew word. They originally carried the understanding of pointed or sharp. The idea was the the tip of an arrowhead. Eventually the uh, nuance became a powerful or penetrating uh, painful event that was left behind. Something that would penetrate leaving a sense of pain. This was not merely a physical pain, but it could also be applied to other things, such as the senses. Something that uh, was bitter tasting was something that left a penetrating or a, 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 a painful taste within the mouth. We see this in Exodus chapter 15, as God has just delivered the children of Israel. Moses is leading them, and it says in uh, Exodus 15, Moses made Israel set forth from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur there three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Mara, which is the Hebrew word for bitter, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. James, use, James uses the Greek term for uh, in James chapter three, he says, for um, out of the same mouth, speaking about how our mouths cannot be the same source of blessing and cursing, he says, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water or bitter water? The terms eventually grew to mean uh, uh, an event or a situation that led to unpleasantness in a person's life. And we see this in Amos 8. In Amos 8, God is declaring the famine that he's going to bring on the children of Israel as a act of judgment. And after he communicates what he does, he describes the reverse. I'm sorry, the result in uh, Amos 8.10. He says, I will turn your feast into mourning, all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. God is describing the effects that his judgment will have on the children of Israel to leave a penetrating taste, metaphorically speaking, in their hearts and souls because of what he has done. So bitterness is having a harsh or unpleasant taste metaphorically speaking to a situation of life and I prefer this definition this is mine you can take it or not I won't be bitter bitterness is the result of responding improperly or unbiblically to the providence of God I like this working definition because it encompasses all aspects and situations which come to us in this life your bitterness can be towards a person or persons, like we see Isaac and Rebecca have bitterness towards Esau when he chooses to choose a wife from the Hittites rather within rather than within their family in Genesis twenty six. You can be embittered about a situation, as God explained, the children of Israel will be in Amos Abel. Ultimately, because all of these things are brought to us from God, your bitterness is therefore with him and with his providence. Turn with me to the book of Ruth. where We'll see this a little more clearly. Ruth chapter one. Ruth chapter one. And Ruth, this is during the time of the judges. You probably know the narrative pretty well. In Ruth chapter 1, we're introduced to a family. It says in verse 1, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. Now stop there for a moment in the passage because we have to understand who Naomi is or at least what Naomi's name means. Naomi is a Hebrew name that essentially means pleasant or lovely. It expresses something that's delightful or sweet. Essentially, Naomi's parents named her Sweetie. It's a nickname for my daughters. Hey, Sweetie. Hey, Naomi. Hey, sweetheart, they called Naomi. This is who we're introduced to in this passage. Little Sweetie. Pick up at verse 2. The name of the man was a lemon leg, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of their two sons was Malon and Chilion. They were Ephorites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. Now look at God's providence in Naomi's life. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, the name of one Orpha, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Chilean died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. These are extreme circumstances in Naomi's life. Dire circumstances. And I very much doubt that any of us would volunteer to experience the things that she has experienced. The things that this narrative tells us has happened to Naomi. They're serious and they're painful. But here's the question I want to ask you. And they know me obviously work through. Were these accidental in her life? Were these things, situations, in these circumstances, happenstance? Did they come to her because matter plus time plus chance equals these situations in her life? Or did they come to her Because Yahweh has a sovereign purpose that he's fulfilling throughout his providence. These situations and these circumstances in Naomi's life were not a cause of accident. And we'll see that Naomi gets that. You might be familiar with the narrative. Naomi finds out that there's bread again in Judah that the Lord has the famine or ended the famine. And so she's decided to return home. One of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, says, hey, I'm going with you. Can't get rid of me. She says, "Okay, can't get rid of you. Stick with me. Let's go. They head back to Judah and we pick up the narrative in verse 18. Look at verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined, speaking about Ruth, to go with her, she said no more. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Is, is this sweetie? Is that sweetheart there? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitter, bitterly with me. I went away full, and she says, and Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me sweetie when Yahweh has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? See, Naomi recognizes that her situation uh, was rooted in the providence of Yahweh. She's bitter, but her bitterness is rooted in a proper theology that her circumstances were brought to her. Her circumstances are not accidents. And this is the fundamental difference that we see between the world's definition of bitterness and the Christian's definition of bitterness, or at least the practical definition that we should work from is that the circumstances that are brought in our lives that could cause bitterness are not brought to us accidentally, but by a loving, caring, powerful God who has a purpose in them. Christians, this has to be a working part of your definition as you consider bitterness. As you deal with bitterness in your life, as you deal with your own heart and you evaluate your heart's circumstances, you have to be willing to first Face this fact, that whatever wrong or situation that was done to you was done under the providence of God. So what does the world understand about the source or the nature of bitterness? Or better yet, where does it come from and what complications does it create in a person's life? How does the world view that? Bitterness, they say is the inevitable result of becoming obsessed with blaming someone else for our misery, for uh, rehearsing the hurt that someone else caused you over and over, meditating and thinking and rehearsing it over and over. And here are some of the results that the world says could result from that. These external external hindrances or setbacks block people from pursuing their goals. It prolongs your mental and emotional pain and may even exacerbate it. It can lead to long-lasting anxiety or depression. It can prevent you from experiencing the potential joy of living fully in, in the present versus dwelling self-righteously on the past and wrongs afflicted to you. It says it could rob you of vital Energy far better employed to help you realize your desires and achieve your goals. And it can undermine your physical health. Now on the surface level, we can't disagree with a lot that's there. There's not a lot there that we must immediately reject. But notice that it never moves past the horizontal. The effects that uh, bitterness could have on your life from the world's perspective only has to deal with you as a person. The effects from the of uh, bitterness from the world's perspective can never be more than just you and the person that you're bitter against. It says it. Here are some ways bitterness comes up in a person's life. I thought this list was interesting. Relationships with people who insist on. Them being right all the time. I haven't met a person who don't think that they are. (laughs) Being taken advantage of by another person. Yep. Feeling put down. Man, I had 10 brothers. I know that. Unrealistic expectations for others. Not being heard. Interaction with people who are always late. (laughs) I thought that that one was funny. This, this list of things that could potentially cause bitterness from the world's perspective are things that we deal with on an everyday basis. How does anyone have a hope or a chance of not being bitter, right? The Bible provides us an explanation of the source and the nature. Let's look at it. What do you suppose is the seed that when planted in the soil of your heart sprouts and roots into bitterness, The Bible is not far off from the world here. Generally speaking, it's hurt. When you're hurt by someone, or you, yeah, when you're hurt by someone, that person drops a seed of bitterness into the soil of your heart. However, bitterness is cultivated, you cultivate the seed of hurt by reviewing it over and over again in your mind. Bitterness is. Is the long term anger that occurs in a life when you refuse to forgive someone who has sinned against you? This will be the Bible's comprehensive explanation of bitterness. Unforgiveness is the source of bitterness, not the hurt itself. Time is needed to heal wounds, but some wounds people keep fresh as the day. That it happened. The hurt can never heal because the offense is carefully nourished and kept fresh by the mind. The issue with bitterness, from the Bible's perspective, is unforgiveness. People are unwilling to forgive because they compare the amount of forgiveness to a person with the amount of forgiveness that they have received from a person. And this, my friends, is the wrong comparison. For us as Bible-believing Christians, if we're going to compare forgiveness, we must first start with the great debt that we have been forgiven from God. We must cultivate the heart of forgiveness by realizing and rehearsing the fact that we have been forgiven. So as you evaluate your life, Here are some indications that you might be bitter. This is a long list, so I chose from a long list. Do you have difficulty resolving conflict in your life? This is like trying to build a skyscraper without a solid foundation. It won't work. And so until you deal with the unforgiveness in your heart, there's no way you could ever resolve a conflict. Maybe acts of vengeance. Maybe you're not personally or physically attacking someone, but have you ever talked behind someone's back? Have you ever gossiped about a person? Maybe there's roots of bitterness and unforgiveness there. How about this? Sarcastic remarks. I can be good at that. Withdrawal. You ever give someone the cold shoulder? I'm not talking to you. Criticism. Criticism. Or a judgmental attitude? Do you deal with any of these? Do you see impatience in your life? Or how about rebellion against authority? Or misuse and abuse of the authority that you have? Maybe you're one who remembers with great details all the specifics of an offense against you. All of these are Indications that you might be dealing with bitterness in your life. So as you examine your circles, at what which reminds me, oftentimes, because we're in here together, you'll be hurt by Christians. Hard pill to swallow, but we're sinners and we sin against each other. And so when you're sinned against, do you harbor bitterness? do you avoid that person in the foyer if you harbor bitterness it'll be clear to everyone and it'll be clear to you if you allow god's word to shine truth on your heart proverbs 14 says proverbs 14:10 says the heart knows its own bitterness so here we come to the crux of everything we understand the definitions they're very similar we understand the source they're very similar And we get to how do we deal with this bitterness? What's the solution? I found a few ways that I want to emphasize from the world's perspective. So how does the world propose you deal with your bitterness? Here's one. Use self-compassion. I didn't know what this was until I read it. Extending compassion to yourself. Helping you to heal so you can process your pain mindfully and kind in kindness. I didn't even know it was a thing. Or maybe try empathy, exploring why the situation or the person caused the, that caused the resentment allows you to uncover uncover potential misunderstandings. Evaluate the situation in such a way that you can potentially see that it was not. An offense that you should be upset about, but maybe just a misunderstanding and then lean in towards gratitude it says it's normal to get caught up in the negative things, so try to think and be more happy and positive in your thinking. this will help you be grateful and those last two I don't think we can really disagree with a whole lot, but this is not. Good. These uh, solutions fall woefully short, but there's hope for the world because Dr. Leon F. Slitzer, sorry, I know I butchered your last name, buddy. He tells us how to get rid of bitterness from the world's perspective. He says, virtually every writer who has weighed in on the subject of bitterness has discussed its ultimate remedy is forgiveness. Forgiveness alone enables you to let go of your grievances, grudges, and resentment. It is the single most potent antidote for the venomous desire of retributive justice poisoning your system. If this impulse hasn't infested you physically, it has at least afflicted you mentally and emotionally. And then he concludes by saying, learning to forgive your violators facilitates your recovery from the wound that while it may have originated from outside yourself, it has been kept alive from the venom that you synthesize within you, end quote. Praise the Lord. Someone gets it right. This type of explanation here gave me hope for the world until I continued to read his article. And he fell fundamentally short. He states the reason for your forgiveness, he says, is related to your personal power. Again, I didn't know what that was until I read it. He says not to forgive gives away your personal power to the person who has harmed you. He says, your personal power is pretty much limited to yourself, even in the face of the gravest injustice, redirecting your focus inward, therefore forgiving someone, is precisely how you go about empowering yourself. Huh? So, so the best reason the world has to give for forgiving is to empower yourself, again, You can see the world's inability to look past the horizontal for it to be more than just the person that you're bumping shoulders with. He goes on to list five steps to forgiveness as a means to forgive. And then he lists these reasons as to why you should forgive. Letting go of grudges and bitterness can make a way to improve your health and peace of mind. Forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety and stress and hostility, fewer symptoms of depression, low blood pressure, stronger immune system, improved heart rate, improved self-esteem, horizontal, horizontal, horizontal. But what does the Bible have to say of how we deal with this problem of bitterness? Paul puts it very, very clearly in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 through 32. Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, As God in Christ forgave you. This is the reason why you forgive, Christian. This is the solution to the problem with bitterness in your heart. It's the fact that you have been forgiven. The world gets the definition right. The world gets some of the problems right. But the world can never get down to the why you forgive because they miss this. And it's imperative that we don't turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. I'm sure you're familiar with the passage, but it's good to be reminded of the things that we are familiar with so that they don't become too familiar in our hearts. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Kent taught on this few weeks ago maybe months ago i would recommend going to go listen to that audio if you have it or if you have the time matthew chapter 18 i'm going to look at a parable that jesus told his disciples matthew chapter 18 verse 21 it says then peter came up to him that's to jesus lord how often will my brother sin against me and i forgive him as many as seven times And Jesus said to him, do not say, uh, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then Jesus wisely tells this parable to demonstrate the why you forgive this unthinkable amount of time from Peter's perspective. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle an account with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered for him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. It's unbelievable. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. And He refused, and he went and put him in prison. Till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and you should not have had mercy on your fellow servant." as I have mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. An unpayable debt the servant was forgiven. A debt that If he took a lifetime to try and pay back, he couldn't. If he took an eternity to try to pay back, he couldn't. An unpayable debt forgiven him. Do you need any more motivation for dealing with the bitterness in your heart? Do you need anything additional than that for working through any bitterness you may have towards someone? Christian, you've been forgiven so much. God is so kind, and not only that He teaches us what His standard is, He gives us the Bible, and it's very practical for helping us reach those standards that He has for us. You see, here, Christians, forgiveness is a part of your job description as a Christian. You don't get a choice in this matter. Bitterness must be dealt with, and it must be dealt with through forgiveness. And Jesus demands quick forgiveness, if you remember Matthew chapter 5. He doesn't give you an excuse for waiting. He doesn't say, wait until you feel like it. No, forgive, and your feelings your will follow your forgiveness. And so I wanted to give you some practical ways to think through forgiveness. You have the why because you've been forgiven. So now what do you want to think through as you approach evaluating bitterness in your own heart and evaluating how to forgive in light of the great debt you've been forgiven? Here's some practical things to think through. Forgiveness first is to be granted only when sin has been committed against you. What's the point here? If whatever your brother or sister has done to upset you is not sin, you might have to rethink the way that you view that situation. There might be sin that you have to confess and repent of because it's not truly sin that you're harboring bitterness because of. And so truly evaluate if you have proper biblical grounds for the bitterness that you have within you. This next one is hard to hear because we're very prideful. But the next thing to think through when you think about forgiveness and bitterness is sometimes the offended party must initiate forgiveness. Even though you were wronged, even though someone hurt you because you have knowledge of the sin, it's your responsibility to go to them to reconcile. It's your responsibility as the one who holds this information to go to your brother, and I would say even an unbeliever, and seek to reconcile the situation. The next one, remember that forgiveness is costly. It costs you something. It costs you the ability to think and ruminate and rehearse that hurt over and over again in your heart to truly forgive you have to give it up you have to be done with the pain that someone's caused you and you must be willing to start working past it you can't harbor it anymore you have to give it up but the important thing to remember in this is that it costs you very little in compared to what it costs jesus to forgive you of your sins any offense, any small hurt that someone has caused you pales in comparison to the way you grieve God with your sin and the cost that it took to reconcile you to Him. Nothing less than the precious life of His Son. Forgiveness is costly, it cost our Savior his life, and it'll cost you being able to harbor on that sin. Remember this, that forgiveness is fundamentally a, pro- a promise. You're essentially saying, I will not bring this up again. You're committing to not recalling the issue to the person. And when you do this, you're reflecting your God's own actions In Isaiah 43 25 he says I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins he he chooses to not recall your sin to you David says he puts them as far as the east is from the west and so as you seek to work through bitterness and forgiveness in your heart remember that you are making a promise to the person not to bring up They're seeing. J. Adam has a really good quote from here, but I'm going to skip it for the sake of time. Forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. Understand that forgiveness can be given without full trust of a person. But I would caution you here not to withhold trust when it's been earned. If we love someone and there's an absence of evidence to the contrary, we should Believe the best about that person. The Bible calls us in 1 Corinthians 13 to believe all things. Love believes all things. Next, remember forgiveness does not focus on secondary causes but on the sovereignty of God. The issue is not the issue. Forgiveness is. Focus is not on the offender's sin, but on how God in his wisdom and goodness may be using the offense for his glory. It's a focus on God and His purposes. We should assume that God is more concerned about our response to an offense than the offense itself. This will help you with bitterness and unforgiveness. God could have prevented the situation from occurring, and since he didn't, he has purpose in it. So evaluate this. Remember this, forgiveness involves an act of the will, not the emotion. Forgiveness should be quick, especially if the offender repents. Especially if the one who hurts you Confesses their sins and ask you for forgiveness. Forgiveness in your heart should be quick. Jesus says, "Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses." Mark eleven twenty five. Forgiveness is an act of your will. You forgive and allow your emotions to follow. As you seek to work through these things, I think a helpful a helpful practice for you would be just to think of the things that we're called to think of in Philippians four eight. Paul writing he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence. If there is anything worthy of praise, think of these things. As you think through your forgiveness and dealing with your bitterness within your heart, it's important to remember this, that forgetting follows forgiveness. It'll take some time to finally get the thoughts out of your head. It'll take some time for them to pass into eternity's past. But the first step in the process is forgiveness. So understanding and applying forgiveness, I would point you to Romans 12, verses 7 through 21. I'll read them and then we will end here tonight. Romans 12, Paul writes in verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Apostle Paul gives us a recipe for dealing with all the situations in our lives and tackling the bitterness that's prone to rise up in us. Don't repay the evil for evil. Don't take vengeance into your own hand. You don't have the ability or the authority to do that. Trust in a sovereign God who has purpose in everything that he's done. And if you haven't been forgiven the major debt and you're here and you're outside of Christ, you're incapable of truly understanding the why of forgiveness. I would beg you to repent of your sins and to turn to Christ. He's your only hope. So brothers and sisters, as we seek to, interact and engage with those who are the closest to us those who we see all the time we call them brothers and sisters we call them sons and daughters we call them husband and wife remember that we're constantly seeking to forgive why because we've been forgiven amen let me pray our great god we do give you praise and thanks We do look to you because how can we do anything else? When you did not count our sins against us, our trespasses against you, you chose to deal with the situation. You sent your beloved son. He lived a life that we had no capacity to. And he died the death that was due us so that we can be forgiven. So that bitterness can be conquered in our lives. What a motivation. What a thing to consider. A thought to ponder. That we've been forgiven by the God of heaven. not only forgiven and have peace but adopted and made sons and daughters and now we're heralds of this great forgiveness that you offer so help us to represent you well this is hard for us you know it is but we have a savior who is able to sympathize with us and in every way was tempted like us, yet without sin. And so, you, precious Savior, we know you understand. So we ask for your help that you would grant us the power needed through your Spirit to live lives of forgiving, not harboring bitterness and resentment towards those who you bring our way not being embittered by the situations that we encounter but as we experience hurt and pain and disappointment and difficulty in this life we will be reminded of our Savior upon the cross and the Savior who walked out of the tomb three days later and that there's life in Him and forgiveness in Him and so how could we not forgive our neighbor? Help us to do this, I pray, dear spirit, in Christ's name, amen.